Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 179. The last episode we had was... How do you put this? Did you ever play that game? I don't know how this is why I'm going to put it, but I'm going to try. Where the floor was lava. Right, okay, so the floor in last episode was my knowledge of the topic. <laughs> I knew nothing about it. We're with Bronte Claire Mitchell. Bronte is the um, founder and editor-in-chief of Femme Magazine, a magazine looking at showcasing um, predominantly female, but in general, uh, uh, fashion and country lifestyle. So I was very much out of it as I sat there in my, and I think I mentioned this, Tesco hoodie, Tesco trousers, and Adidas socks. That was all I had. So um, yeah, I was very much out of place in that situation. But really good chat. Absolutely lovely lady who's uh, who's created a pretty amazing business at 24, actually. Quite quite impressive. So um, for those that are fans of Holly Thompson, um, of uh, the now Country Women's Guide, and used to be... Um, what was the name of the last one? In the Country Magazine. Uh, it was a kind of similar topic. Um, so we're talking about a young person just creating a a, a magazine business um, around something in the country that I knew nothing about. So really interesting. Um, we spoke a lot about Rupert, our very cute dog. Did you know you got long-haired Dachshunds? Because I didn't. Um, so a very cute little Rupert there. Uh, the next episode was, again, <laughs> somewhat different for me as well in that it was not filmed on Zoom. Um, it was filmed in team. No, I'm joking. It wasn't filmed online. Uh, it was filmed in a man's kitchen. The man who was the guest. I uh, realized the next episode, given this is one seven nine, is one eighty, and I pretended that I knew about sports and thought, let's do it on darts. So I put a little post out. Does anyone know any darts players? And about, I honestly wouldn't say three minutes later. I do not have a massive following. Um, I was in contact with someone who was an ex world number four. Um, so. Pretty good at darts, I think it would be fair to say. And uh, Rab uh, basically phoned me and he said, Wallace, I'm rubbish with tech. Do you want to come to the house? So he lives about two miles away. <laughs> Drove round. We had a bit of crack. I gave him some whiskey. Uh, his dog slept on um, my foot the whole time. And uh, we went and threw some arrows with an X-World number four. So Rab's coming on for number 180. And for those that are Luke Littler fans and watch the darts and, and, and make sure not to miss it, I was not that. <laughs> I... Uh, I he basically said, what was it he said? He said, 99% of folk you say to couldn't go up and throw a 20 straight away. And I was like, easy. As I say in the episode, I went, it took me six goes. So yeah, <laughs> quite clear that it is quite difficult. He was, he said um, he was a millimeter or maybe a, a couple of millimeters off from being the first person to ever hit a televised nine darter. Uh, it was a friend of his that hit the first televised nine darter, which he uh, very much resented hugely. And uh, he also had said something along the lines of he was um about two wins away from being a world number one. So you could you could really see that sort of um elite mentality that, that some sports folks have and it, it was quite interesting. And at 76, he still went through, he knew exactly to the point where eight feet off the off the dartboard was. It, it was just, it was genuinely really interesting to sit down with a, a really nice guy and chat about that. And since then, Rab, if you are listening, I have actually went to the local Young Farmers Games Night and upgraded my third place in the darts last year to a second. So I'm really after your title. Um, let's not talk about the amount of whiskeys and whatnot that had been had by the competitors. Anyway, um, today, another good episode. And genuinely, I, I say this, I think this will be a true statement. I don't think there'll be a longer distance between first trying to get someone on, I don't even know if Sam knows this, <laughs> to uh, to finally getting someone on, because around the inception of the podcast, um, so at start of 2021, I would say 
maybe March, I originally tried to get in touch. I tried to get in touch uh, with um, Sam and his, his company at the time, which we'll talk about uh, for two reasons. One, to uh, be involved with uh, students, but obviously busy. And uh, yeah, again, for, for this, and it, it wasn't able to come to fruition, but it has come because we've now became part of Nuffield Cohort. And I promise that was not intentionally done. I found out Sam was going for it and I thought this is the, the length I'm going to go to. Um, but that person today <laughs> is Sam Watson-Jones. Sam, would you like to say hello? Hello, and I'm sorry. It's uh, I'm sorry we didn't we we didn't manage to sort that out back in 2021. Um, sorry it's taken so long, but very pleased to be here. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as Aplan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space, with over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. Not at all, mate. Not at all. It's actually quite. I'll, I'll just. I'll put my hands up. I think I, I'm not really someone that hides um, things. Uh, quite poor at it, actually. I uh, I basically went up and told you this the second I met you, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, generally I've been a fan, and and um, we said about that, and for those listening, a lot of you know I did a masters in food security, and I I I wrote about a lot of what Sam had conceptualised and thought about quite a bit throughout my crop side when I had to pretend I knew about crops and whatnot but we'll get into all that stuff um uh, later on Nuffield and whatnot as well but could you uh Sam just a bit of background for the viewers give us a wee bit of you know, background about yourself yeah sure so I'm, I'm Sam Watson-Jones I'm uh, very pleased to be on the same Nuffield cohort as as Wallace uh, I come from a farming family um, so I'm the fourth generation uh, on our arable farm in, in Shropshire. Um, and uh, as, as well as that, we've, you know, we've diversified the, the, the family business into, into various other things. And then up until uh, very recently, uh, very sadly, uh, the start of this month, I was a co-founder of Small Robot Company, but as many of you will have uh, perhaps seen in the in the farming press, small robot company had to go into liquidation um, at the start of at the start of February. So yeah, happy to happy to talk about that. But I've been involved in in a few different things uh, on the ground farming, a um, bit less so in in recent years, and and a bit more, uh, I suppose, future gazing and trying to build technologies um, that I think are I still think are going to be uh, transformative and have a and have a transformative impact on the. Um, on the future of on the future of arable farming it was you know when i heard about it um the liquidation sam it was i was obviously sad for yourself and, and those involved but I, I was also frustrated because i as someone that's not at all involved in the tech side i share your frustrations that it's not as advanced in our sector arguably the most important sector on the planet mm, <laughs> as, as yeah. in so many others you know um and it's yeah. kind of why we'll come to nuffield later but it's kind of why nuffield when I tell everyone um, I'm looking at agricultural education, they say Holland and Switzerland, they all kind of get it. But when I say Japan and Singapore, they're like, why? And I'm like, because they have the most advanced ag tech and urban farming in the world. And yeah. people are like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. We know that here. And I'm like, but we should. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, I, I totally get it. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, a lot of that was, was I suppose, the frustration that, that sparked me starting small robot company which was back in 2017 um because it was 
quite simply, I mean, there's nothing, there was nothing um, magical about what we were trying to do. We were simply looking at how do other sectors use these sorts of technologies, and specifically, we were looking at computer vision and artificial intelligence, um, machine learning algorithms trained against a set of uh, against a set of images. Okay, well, how are other sectors using that? How could that be useful in in farming? And I think it could completely transform the system. But um, and and the uh, and the interesting thing is that you know farmers, lots of farmers, completely completely agree that the 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 thing that is holding it back is the it's the investment side. Um, it's it's a, it is a very difficult proposition to invest in farming. Is an ag tech is a more difficult investment proposition than software um, or you know specifically things like fintech, financial technology, or um, or B two B software companies. You know those things are easier to invest in and have um, and have a stronger track record of being successful. Whereas whereas in ag tech, we're we're right at the start of this transformation. And therefore, it's very difficult to to raise funding, and and ultimately, that's what that's what killed us. So. It's it's an interesting one. We'll get we'll get into sort of small world company and and how it operated and whatnot eh, as we go, Sam. But just just even considering that, you know, I'm a lecturer for SRUC, and agriculture has been what it's been built on. That's what SRUC, SEC before it, and and whatever have all been built on. Um, but we piloted an ag tech course last year. Two students done it, mm. and then it died. And it's yeah. a great shame because it's it, it's not how it should be. <laughs> it yeah. should be, the yeah. thing that, you know, we're, maybe that we had a weight of how we marketed and whatever, and that we put our hands up on that, I'm sure. But um, it's a shame because that sort of thing should be getting pushed more. But we, we yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, and I'm happy to happy to 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 get into it. But I but I completely agree. You know, I think I think technology should be absolutely front and center of of how people learn about about this industry and uh and when new entrants coming from outside the industry think about how they're going to get in and uh, and when people who've grown up in multiple generations of a family farm when both of those two extremes they need to be thinking absolutely first and first and last about okay how is technology going to going to change what uh, how we are doing things because if we assume that over the course of you know my career and your career it's just going to be a linear extension of the past and we're just going to continue to do things in exactly the same way we are a grave danger individually as businesses but also as a country of being of being left behind and you've already mentioned a couple of examples of countries that think about producing food in a, in a totally different way to us um and and i do you know, I, I think I think there needs to be more more vision for this in the industry um, uh, in this country. Um, I think we are a danger actually of being of being left behind. And and education again, it's it's a it's a tricky one. I've had um, so uh, I spent some time at Harper, um, and you know, in theory, Harper is 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 extremely is extremely advanced um but actually i i also so i was doing a master's at harper myself and um uh and and i got a little bit involved in how the curriculum was was developed and actually it's very difficult to nudge a curriculum forward um because 
because you know it's a very it's a very stable thing or static thing might be a better word um and and actually there is a danger i think that we teach farming in inverted commas or ag business in the same way we did 30 years ago and um and yes the industry changes slowly but um but it should be changing more quickly and i think that it'll you know it, it looks as though not much is changing and then suddenly it'll change very quickly and we are at risk i think of being left behind i think you've just kind of written the the sort of uh bio of why i'm doing the scholarship i am <laughs> mm. it worries me it genuinely worries me i mean we we go to events or whatever and you're you're speaking to prospective students parents normally um and they say something along the lines of um oh you're changing the course you're still teaching farming yes but it's changing mm. yeah. yes yeah. we're still teaching the thing you want us to hear dairy cows and barley but we have to look at what's happening or if yeah. we're not as the harper adams the sruc the wherever god we're gonna fall behind surely uh yeah no i i i'm in it completely what was the the course you done at harper sam i did oh, i did farm and agribusiness management uh and i said i did a master's which is actually which is actually a small lie it was it was an attempt at a master's and uh and then i kept and then i got to the dissertation the final dissertation and essentially what i found myself writing was was like a version of of a business plan for a small robot company almost and it was kind of sort of pushed towards um so i did it part-time i did it over three or four years and uh and and, and i kept on starting again studying again and, and not quite and thinking uh, but this is not quite enough. I'm not quite pushing it far enough. And then eventually I got to the point of thinking, actually, I don't want to write this 10,000 words or whatever I had to write for this dissertation. I actually want to start a company. And um, and so I so I cut it short at a diploma or whatever, whatever the whatever the equivalent is. Um and uh and then went and started started some more robot companies. So so through through the course of that, um yeah, it really clarified my 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 thinking. But yeah, it was broadly it was about farm and agribusiness management. So I I always find this interesting when um you know with the very nature of the the sector we bring a lot of people on the podcast that like myself done a degree in agriculture or something like that, masters food security that sort of thing. Um, what was your undergraduate? <laughs> <laughs> so so mine, mine was English literature. Uh, so. Not not that useful. Um, I know I know quite a lot about Charles Dickens that that has never um, uh, never been useful uh, in 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 later life. Um, I I so when I when I left school I did a, I did the degree in the subject that I was good at um, and uh, and I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to do. Although I was pretty clear that I didn't want to be a farmer. Um, interestingly, uh, and and I'd always so I grew up grew up in Shropshire. And growing up, I'd always felt very much that, that the world was happening beyond the beyond the boundaries of uh, beyond the county boundaries of Shropshire, and and very much wanted to to to, to get out, um, and uh, and then gradually over yeah over the course of my university degree and and then over the first couple of years I suppose of of work experience, I gradually started to. To think that maybe the family business could be something more more interesting to 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 get involved with, but I still, in many ways, didn't really want to be a farmer. 
and I've and I've never really thought about it as a as a job that I am doing um, more as a more as a business that I'm trying to to grow and and I, and I suppose I was I was interested in the family business broadly and that idea of a family business which I think is you know has the potential to be a really positive thing in the world and I wanted to grow that but I perhaps wouldn't have been that fussed if the family business was you know a shoe factory or a or or a farm although having then thrown myself into the into the family farm I did I did and 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 remain um in love with it and 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 I have you know something we mentioned before we before we hit record it is it does dawn on you that this is this is one of the most important things that, that we do as human beings and this industry is you know arguably the most important um in the world and actually spending your time thinking about working in this industry and spending your time thinking about how this industry should evolve i think is is a really worthwhile um pursuit so but that love of farming i think came came later for me I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, the new name for A-Plan Rural. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. You've mentioned... And you quite often say family business. So, and you also yeah. said various other things earlier. But what what is the family business? It's obviously it's a it's a farm core, but yeah. there seems to be more. So, so when I came home, uh, it's twelve hundred acre arable farm, and uh, and we have a poultry unit as well. Um, and it had previously been dairy and arable, um, and then my my father took the decision to go into to go into poultry, and uh, and I. You know, as soon as I came home, almost um, I saw that one of the main challenges with, uh, if you like, the core business, which which is you know what we do with the land and and and, and the arable farming side of it, one one of the main challenges was that it wasn't it wasn't growing, um, you know, and and I couldn't really see a way to grow it in a in a sensible way, and by not growing, I mean um, so one of one of the first things I did so I, to Prior to prior to farming, I, I spent some time uh, as a technology consultant working in management consultancy. Which is, large parts of that are pretty boring. There's a lot of spreadsheets, and uh, and I so one of the first things I did was try and convert some of our our figures, our farm figures, into a spreadsheet because it was literally recorded in in pencil by my by my dad and previously by my granddad. Uh, you know all the sort of the crop yields and uh, and what we'd sold it for and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I started to record that into a into a spreadsheet, and I noticed that, and I did that over sort of a twenty five year period, um, going back twenty five years to see the trends and where the you know which things which things had done well and which things hadn't done well. And the kind of slightly depressing thing was that um, that we weren't producing any more from our fields than we had been twenty five years previously. Um, but of course, the cost of cost incurred to produce that tonnage of wheat or whatever it was had gone up massively over that 25 years and so that you know just if you just take a step back and think about what you're doing from a from a business perspective that's a very very bad business um you yeah. know when you're when you're when you're when you're growing something but you're not producing more of it and you're also not able to necessarily 
sell it for more because that was the other thing. The yield line was was essentially, if you drew a trend line through the yield, it was essentially pancake flat um, over that 25 years. But also the, um, the, the price that you'd achieved at the market had not gone up with inflation in a nice reliable way. And we hadn't sort of had a nice stable margin on top of that ton, ton of wheat. It was basically flat as well. Um, over that over that twenty five years, you know, so the fundamentals there of a business, particularly a business where you're risking so much money to to actually to actually grow that crop, um, it didn't really stack up to me. Um, and uh, but there were there were reasons other than money to continue with it. You know, it was it was the it was the it was the family the family. The tradition, if you like, of, of producing it, but it was also land that we cared about and land that we wanted farmed in the right way. And there were opportunities to, to you know, farm in a way that increased biodiversity and just have the farm as a, as a really good place to be, for want of a better phrase. But, but, it, but it seemed to me that, um, that actually that was potentially in contrast with maximizing our financial returns. And so if we were forced to use the farm to maximize our financial returns, um, then we might not do things that were, that were you know, really good for biodiversity and turn the farm into a really nice place. Um, there were plenty of, you know, the more rational thing to do is just to find a vegetable farmer or a salad grower or something who will just pay you anything in rent. And uh, and then you can you know you can rent the land out and, and not do anything, but that's but 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 you know so that's the sort of the most rational financial decision. And so then the and so then I tried to develop a, if you like a business strategy that would see more income coming from off the farm um, and reduce the the if you like the financial pressures on the farm, um, but enable that farm to keep going. And so we looked at a few different things. Did some did some stuff in 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 property development um, with a with a with a school friend of mine, um, and uh, but eventually I formed a partnership with my cousin, who also has a background as a as a management consultant, um, and was coming back to was coming back to Shropshire, and we started to look at um, uh, at, at buying other businesses. So using some of the, the the asset of the land to to raise debt to go and invest in things that were not farming that were not um, correlated to the wheat price, if you like, um, and were um, uh, and then would provide you know more reliable cash income. Um, and so, so as part of doing that, we bought a manufacturing business in two thousand and seventeen. Um, my cousin spends more time on that than I do. Um, and um, that's gone really well, and it's done exactly what we wanted it to do. So that was also a family business where the two the two owners were retiring. It didn't have a succession plan. It had been running for twenty five years. It was very stable. Um, it's a it's a steel fabrication business. Um, we acquired that, grew it. We've more than we've more than doubled the size of the business over the over the first five years of of operating it. And uh, and this year we're going to try and buy try and buy another one, and the the kind of broad strategy there is, yeah you you use the if you like the value of the land to go and invest in non farming things that bring in cash that then enable the farming business to continue, um, but actually you then make 
in the farming business, it gives you more freedom, if you like, to make long-term decisions about what's right for the the long-term health of the health of the soil and health of the the environment in which we are farming, rather than what's the how do I maximise my cash returns in this particular year, and it's it's worked well. So when you say use the land, I take it you're talking collateral, and you're not saying sell it. You're you're using it as an yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, so then we'll try and so we'll we'll take on an amount of debt, um, and we we the decision we take is we cap that at thirty percent. Um, so thirty percent of the value of the land, we try and keep as a we try and keep that amount invested in 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 alternative assets, if you like, um, and. Um, and so, yeah, you take on that much debt, and then you're and then you're you're reducing that debt, and that does you know also put the business under pressure. Of course, you're reducing that debt over time, and then which is what we've done over the last five years, and now we're now we're at the stage where we will um, we'll try and do that a second time, um, and um, and that way, um, yeah, just thinking about it sort of more holistically as a business, I suppose, we wanted to be able to farm in the right way. And and I couldn't see a way of a way of doing that that didn't that didn't involve some sort of diversification really, um, and um, uh, yeah, it's worked it's worked well. So do you do you only buy out an entire business? Could you say cash income? I assume it's equity income if you're buying parts. I'm, I'm, new yeah. to, I'm not new to this. I just don't know about it to be honest. But yeah. so 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 that that's what we did on that on that occasion. Um, we we have since looked at a few opportunities yeah where we could take a, a minority stake um and form more of a joint venture with with someone um but the but the starting point will be yeah to to try and acquire a, a whole business um and i mean pro, pro pros and cons um you know i think you you obviously want to use as little capital as possible to 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 do it um but you want to retain retain control and and not have uh you know certainly uh you know try not to have outside investment coming in um try and try and try and maintain control of it um within within the family because then you can you can grow it at your own pace and you're only you're only accountable to your to yourself which i think is an important aspect of this and we're not trying to you know the ambition then with these with these businesses is to is to um, is to buy and hold them if you like from a from a, a stock market parlance. It is not to um, to sort of you know load them with debt and then flip them in a, in, a, in a few years' time. It's to actually own them for the long term and uh, increase the the strength, diversity, um, and also size of that family business over over time. Oh, it's quite interesting here in different diversifications, isn't it? I mean, the, the, when we think diversification, we think probably as you started some property like you know bnbs that sort of thing um but it's amazing what you can do well it's uh, it has been a fascinating area to to get involved with actually because um because what you start to realize is that the, i mean there's a whole world of opportunities out there and i think one of the real challenges with farming and this is something i i struggled with when i was if you like more full-time day-to-day on the farm is you can get into a you can get into a mentality where you know the world ends at the boundary of the farm and you and you just think about okay well what can I do right here right now 
But actually, I have always tried to think of the farm as a as a platform, um, and and potentially a platform that enables you to get uh, to get involved with 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 within reason almost anything, um, and you can only do that if you're if you're quite strict about I suppose freeing yourself up from the from the day to day, which has been something I've. I've worked really hard on over the last um, seven or eight years um, and not making yourself essential, trusting, building a team that you can trust, um, removing, and this is the difficult bit sometimes, but removing your ego from, from, a, from a particular decision on the, on the farm and not worrying if someone takes a decision that's slightly different to you and then, and, and kind of freeing yourself up to to think more to think more broadly, because when you when you start to look at like okay, what sort of other businesses could you could you get, and we spent a bit of time doing this in sort of 2015, 2016, the world is full of incredibly interesting and incredibly incredibly successful businesses. You know the the nuts and bolts of a farm of a farming business, particularly you know an arable business. Are um, you know, are pretty tricky actually, um, and 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 you know, and often you find people do you know doing engaged in the activity of farming for reasons other than money, as a, as a, as I've said, and I think that's a really good thing. But actually, the world is full of business opportunities if you're if you're patient um, and if you take the time to to find one that that, that suits you. And you're, as I say, you're willing to kind of grow it over the over the long term. I think there's there's a whole there's a whole range of opportunities there. <laughs> no, well, clearly, clearly, probably something I hadn't even considered, to be honest. Um, obviously, Sam, your big thing, and 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 sort of, uh, you've mentioned it throughout, is a small robot company. You've you've sort of said about it starting, um, and obviously the end as well. But tell us about what the the plan was there, and also for those listening. That don't know what it is, what small robot yeah. company is. <clears throat> yeah, um, or perhaps was um, is the uh, is the is, is is the better is the better tense to use. So, um, the the thinking to so sort of twenty sixteen twenty seventeen time for me was a was a real pivotal um, time. I was in my early thirties, um, and I was starting to form this thinking around um you know there's there's something bigger and broader that we could and should be doing here um beyond continuing the operation of of uh, of the of the farm and so part of that was diversification as I've, as I've spoken about but 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 I kept coming back to okay so we've got this kind of core problem of farms are not more productive um if they are we're producing the same yields and yet the costs that we incur to achieve those yields continue to go up. Um, that that remained the core problem. Okay, so one one way of doing that is you go, well, okay, we'll, we'll bring other income in from, from elsewhere. Um, and but but I, I kept coming back to but there must be a solution for that, because every farm is is facing that. And this is not a a problem that's unique to us in our little corner of Shropshire. This is actually a global problem where um, we are continuing to use fertilizer chemicals that get that get more expensive. We're continuing to broadly apply those, as in, 
when we go into a field, we tend to use, uh, we, we tend to apply at a hundred percent rate across the across the entire field, um, and some exceptions where where people do do a few different things, but those are real edge cases. You know, most most farms um, go in, decide they're going to apply fertilizer, apply it over the whole field at the same rate. Decide they're going to apply a chemical, do the same thing. And I kept coming back to, there must be a technology solution for this. And um, I didn't necessarily know what it was. My my interest in technology had been sparked by my time working working in London as a as a management consultant. I worked at Accenture, and largely hated it. But but I. Um, but one thing it did do was it made me aware of how technology was transforming other sectors. So we spent some time looking at banking, for example. We spent some time looking at pharmaceutical. Um, there were a few different sectors that we that we looked at, and the common trend was, you know, this was even back in the yeah, twenty, um, you know, sort of 2010, 2011, even even as long ago as that. It was. Um, these sectors are being absolutely transformed by by technology and it wasn't particularly artificial intelligence at that time but they were all being digitized i think was the was the was the sort of the, the common the common trend and then with that digitization huge possibilities opened up and that i think started me thinking about okay, well, what would farming look like if it was truly digitized and so i went out with that not a lot more than that um, of what would your farm look like if it was digitized what would that what would become possible and in early 2017 i spent about six months talking to about 100 farmers um uh, going around just sort of local to where i was um and uh and out of those conversations came this concept of per plant farming which is the idea that you can look at a field of wheat and, and imagine a field of wheat in your mind's eye Know, millions of plants across a across a field but you can use essentially mobile computers to identify and locate every single individual plant in that field you can truly turn that field into a into a digital version of itself a series of ones and zeros um, and then with that level of accuracy you can then start to take action at that at that um, at that same level of accuracy so we called that first part per plant intelligence, the second part per plant action, uh, and together it was this concept of of per plant farming, um, which you know I don't know whether this was um, you know where we were in the kind of genesis of that phrase, but that was certainly a phrase that, that we came up with, and and now you see that you know kind of all over the place really, um, people sort of routinely routinely talk about it, and the way we thought about it was. Okay, and the way we are going to get there is by using autonomous machines that are going to stir, that are going to go out and scan the field. And the initial concept was around these three robots: Tom, Dick, and Harry. Tom was going to be the scanning robot, Dick the weeding robot. So Tom, Tom would go out, map out the field. Dick would then go and take action, either micro spraying um, uh, as required or weeding, potentially doing non chemical weeding. And then Harry was going to be the the, the planting robot, and and that was perhaps one of the challenges that we faced was that, that we were trying to do a lot. Um, and when we started to talk about this in 2017, it wasn't it wasn't even technically possible or it certainly had never been done. And there was a lot of scepticism as to whether you would be able to 
you know, gather those millions of data points across a across a field and actually do anything useful with it. But over over the the subsequent years, that what we built, um, and the real frustration was that as we went into liquidation, you know, we had um, so we we kind of refined the vision as we went through, so that we were using a Tom scanning robot to go and take you know thousands and thousands of images. We we were using we were then passing those images through AI algorithms that were then identifying the things in that image. So that was weeds, counting the number of plants, um, you, and using that to, uh, and, and assessing things like leaf color and above ground biomass, and then using that to provide to farmers fertilizer maps and weed maps. And in particular, identifying grass weeds in wheat fields, um, which is something that, you know, it's a huge global problem because grasses are obviously genetically very similar to to the wheat um, which is also a grass crop um, and so controlling it chemically is very very tough uh, and lots of chemicals are not very are not very effective um, and so the idea that you could actually map out these weeds and individually see a grass weed as it is growing up through the wheat was something that was kind of you know when we started talking about that in 2017 that was like fantasy land and and we and we did it and we did it at field scale and we had working maps that farmers could use. We couldn't raise enough investment to, to 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 get it over to get it over the line. And so the kind of the story of small robot company is yeah we were we were very ambitious in terms of technically what we were trying to create. Um, we we tried to we raised um, you know a, a reasonably significant amount of money. Um, and and I think in, if we'd started again now and raised this amount of money, we would perhaps have, have been successful. But we, you know, over over the over the course of the seven years that we that we ran it for, it was um, you know we we went down a few blind alleys, I suppose, and uh, and learned things learned things along the way. But we raised we raised nine nine million in total. But the the biggest amount that we raised from a single investor was was three hundred k. So we never got like a large investor to to really take a bet on us. Um, and that was the thing that that ultimately killed us. Um, we at our peak in terms of team size, we were fifty fifty five people um, at the start of twenty twenty three, <coughs> and we had to make um sort of 25 percent of those redundant at the start of 23 to try and um extend the runway and um uh and and keep the business going and continue to try and find investment and ultimately we were we were not successful i think we spoke we we we, we sort of had face-to-face nose from uh, around about 250 260 investors so just like a succession of pitching this idea getting getting some traction getting people interested in it but ultimately not being able to to get it over the line um and whilst we were generating revenues the revenues were not enough to cover our to cover our monthly our monthly burn um and so there was always a there was always a cliff edge and i think one of the the strategic areas that we made 
which we couldn't have known until until we did it, was that we set ourselves up to be a venture-backed business. And so it was always going to be the case that, you know, you either raise you either raise investment or you or you're dead. Um, and we didn't raise investment, so we were dead. Um, and um, and so yeah, it was you know it was it was a tough experience to go to go through. And at the end, so we're we're, we're twenty eight people, and telling those telling those twenty eight people, uh, well thirty people with me and my co founder, but telling those twenty eight people um, that 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 it was over and they didn't have a job was 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 very very tough um and and very very emotional and um and and i guess we we also you know ended it with with a huge amount of frustration but also but also um belief that we'd that we built the right thing and if i just and i know i'm I'm going on at this point wallace but the um the kind of Penny drop moment um, where it, where it, where it, where it sort of hit me where uh, where it looked like we weren't going to be successful um, was perhaps early autumn of last year where we were going out and we were trying to actively sell this business ourselves find an acquirer it's not what we what we wanted what we wanted was to have a a farmer owned company that eventually goes public. But out of desperation, you know, and as a way of trying to keep the business going, we we tried to find an acquirer, and we spoke to um, like a an ag tech business broker, so someone who sells ag tech businesses based in the US, you know, and that that job doesn't really even exist over here um, because our ag tech sector isn't big enough. Um, but this guy, this is what he does all day. He sells technology companies into the big the big players um, in in agriculture, basically. And he said to us, he said, guys, I look at this stuff all the day, uh, you know, all day, every day. And what you have built is incredible. It's the it's the future of farming. But you're too early. You're five years, you might be 10 years too early for the market. And, um, and you're, you know, you are only going to get acquired by uh, any larger player in the ag space if they are actively spending dollars on building exactly what you are building today. And if they can look at you and go, okay, well, these guys have built a technology that is, you know, we're at stage two. These guys are, fo- you know, but for us, it's project number 46. But these guys are focused on this exclusively and they're at stage five. Well, we'll acquire them to accelerate, you know, accelerate our path to market with this by two years or three years. And um, and that was, and, and, and then he said, you know, and, and therefore I'm not going to, I'm not going to represent you. Um, I don't want the, you know, I don't, I don't want your business. And that was a moment where we were like, mm, yeah, maybe that is the, uh, that is the story that it's, that it's, um, that we're, that we're going to end with. And that ultimately is where we ended. I think, I think we built the right thing. Um, and, uh, and, and, and there's, there's a few more bits to say about the potential for it, but we, but we were ultimately, I think too early. Surely, uh, I don't know, a Cargill, a John Deere, a Case or whatever, getting the opportunity for comparatively to their worth, buy something like that out and be five years ahead is good. Yeah. <laughs> that just seems like the right thing. And it is, but, but we, so, yeah, and I would, have, I would have completely agreed with you. Someone, at, let's take John Deere, um, you know, a, a company that does acquire 
other technologies. Um, and I know a CEO in California whose company got acquired. Let's let's use that as an example. Right? So this company called Bear Flag Robotics, real nice guy, uh, Gino, who run who runs that. They got acquired. We we got to know each other because we were both trying to raise what's called a Series A in the investment world. Um, we were trying to raise, I think, um, we tried to raise so many different amounts. I forget exactly what it was, but I think we were trying to raise eight million pounds. He was trying to raise seven million dollars um, at the same at the same time. Um, both of us really struggling. Couldn't get anyone to invest. He was based in Silicon Valley. We we're based in Salisbury, um, and. Um, and he um uh relationship with John Deere and he was building retro so software that you retrofit onto a tractor to make it autonomous. So you take an existing tractor, you add this bare flag robotic stuff onto it, and it makes it autonomous. John Deere got talking to him and uh and he said, uh, I don't really want to take investment from you because if I do then everyone else will just think that you're the only, you know, you're the only game in town and, and I'm going to struggle to raise other investment. So if you come in, I'm going to struggle to raise the rest of the round. And they said, okay, well, we'll acquire you then. Um, and uh, and they acquired them for $250 million. Um, and and they, um, they did that because they were actively spending R&D dollars on building exactly what Bear Flag Robotics were, were building. They were trying to build software that they could stick onto their old tractor fleet and turn it into something that was autonomous, rather than having to build a you know a whole new fleet that was that was autonomous that was autonomy ready, if you like. And uh, and so someone in John Deere has bet their career on that, right? They've said, "I'm going to sign off a two hundred and fifty million dollar check on these guys." Because I bet that the technology that they've got is going to accelerate us to market. Now, if you look at what we were doing, we were talking about, so they're talking about existing tractors doing the same thing that the tractors are doing today. Uh, the only difference being there's not a human being sitting in the seat of that tractor. It's it's a driverless tractor. Now, you can, I mean, that already exists. You know, people are people are already doing that. You can believe that that's the future of farming. The person who wrote that two hundred, who signed off that two hundred and fifty million dollar check, is taking a bet, but it's not a wild bet. It's not a wild bet that that's the future. That that's going to have a role. That that's going to be something that John Deere can market and make money out of. What we were talking about was a a future for farming led by artificial intelligence, where we're going to have a digitized crop where computers are going to start to interpret what is in that field to a greater level of accuracy than a human being. And, and moreover, you're then going to have um, interconnected farms, effectively, where you're going to have something happens on, on your farm, Wallace, uh, and, it, and, and the computer does it and it works um, and, and, and you get you know, a 5% increase in yield. Through through an interconnected farm with a truly digitized system, that knowledge could then be shared with with my farm uh, and with the other, you know, thousand farms, ten thousand farms using the network. And so, and and through doing that, you get shared learning in a really meaningful network driven way, and you get this kind of uh, this network effect of, you know, the hundredth farmer 
joining this network benefits more from this system than the first farmer to join it and the thousandth farmer benefits more than the hundredth farmer um there's a totally different vision for the for the future of for the future of farming my microphone might have just gone so apologies no it hasn't here perfectly um that's that's interesting to consider because when you look at sort of um was it bear flag robotics you said that's yeah. sort of that, that's almost creating a uh an elongated market for their product whereas yours is a is a is a is a lateral switch you're moving away and maybe even maybe even um making that conventional even autonomous tractor somewhat redundant because you know so that's that's maybe a, a yeah, yeah exactly well. so we 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 were saying the future is not going to be a tractor as it looks exactly today and it's not going to be a sprayer operating in exactly the way that it operates today. The future of farming is going to be something, uh, something different, something data, data driven, AI driven, where the machinery that we need to to um, uh, to interact with that data might look different. And so, yeah, it's a challenging future. Whereas, as you say, and for someone like John Deere, you know, they've got billions tied up in in their existing revenue streams their existing their existing products so so that's to now on the other side of it that makes complete sense to me that they wouldn't that they wouldn't acquire it because you know you know even if it wasn't 250 million dollars even if it's 5 million dollars right um someone is saying someone's still putting their career on the line and saying this is the uh this is the future of farming but maybe it's not Maybe it's not, or if it is, maybe it's twenty years down the line, um, you know. And and those are, you know, twenty years down the line is for that individual for the course of their career. Probably lost their job. In twenty years' time, it may as well not happen from their from their perspective, <laughs> yeah. because because you know. So to, so it was it was an interesting perspective from this business broker. Was like you know you can't think of John Deere as this kind of massive monolith. Like it is human beings making decisions which have an impact on their individual career and so you can have an individual conversation with someone at John Deere and we had many of them where they go well I can see that you guys have got something that we haven't got and and I believe this is the future of farming you know we heard that from from lots of people at John Deere and you know all the others that you would think of but you know it does that's not the same as and I'm going to write you a I'm going to write you a massive check because I'm so certain. Uh, and so you know that's the kind of the the pain of um, uh, of being of being too early. And um, you know again you know no shame in it really because I um, because I think we because we built the right thing. You know I'm I'm really I'm really sad for the farmers that we're not serving that were our customers that we're not serving, and I'm really sad for the farmers. And others who who lost money investing investing in us, um, you know, we we lost money investing in this as well as a as a as a farming business, but we we built it with the right intent. We we built the right thing. Um, I'm extremely proud of the of the team that we built, and I think someone in that team is going to build something that transforms farming forever. Um, and and that I hope is the legacy of 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 small robot company that um, that that we 
yeah, we built a culture that kind of encourages people to remain involved in in ag tech and and have another go at it. You know what amazed me about John Deere was the fact that you know we we all know John Deere. We're in farming, and for the most part, people out with farming in the UK have probably seen a John Deere tractor. They could probably say that. It was institutionalized in the States. I was only there for a week. I was at a basketball game, an American football game. John yeah. Deere was everywhere. Yeah. I couldn't believe like in mainstream culture. I, I, yeah, yeah. What place did it have? Do they invest in that? I don't know. Are they I, I was quite I was quite impressed. Yeah. It's just an well, it's, so I'm going to the States as part of my travels and uh and the um Farming is a totally different game over there, for one thing, right? It's it's a really important part of their of their economy. Um, same same in Canada. Um the businesses and the business opportunities over there are, 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 are much, much bigger. Um and 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 then there's you know, and because of that, there's a lot more investment capital looking to come into the sector. And that's one of the big challenges over here is that the number of people, the size of our ag industry, the number of people in this country that work in agriculture is relatively vanishingly vanishingly small. And then when you look at investment and people putting money into agriculture, you know, in the UK, most of that investment money comes from London. Um, and um, and you know, people, in, people in London, you know, neither know nor really care um about 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 farming um and so it's just so london businesses get 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 investment um and yeah it's it's a totally different game over there um and um they also have i think a, an entirely different mindset about about these about these future these future technologies i mean for example you know we would have you know, we pitched to a lot of American businesses and we pitched to a lot of UK and European businesses. And you would get a lot of skeptical questions about the technology in um in 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 this country in particular. So like, well, it's never really gonna work, is it? Um uh, and 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 those and you'd spend a lot of time kind of defending the technology. Whereas the the mindset of an American investment call is, well, let's just assume that, you know. Either this works already, or you will make this work if you get sufficient money. How do we then make this into something really big? And the and the the um, the mindset is completely different. Um, and you know, pro, pro, pros and cons, I think of that. But um, but but it, but it's just it's an observation. I think that's a genuine a genuine thing about American culture is that positivity. <clears throat> I think a lot of us over here and i am not at all including myself in this because i strongly disagree with it i think as uk folks there's this mentality of oh, americans they're just so high energy i love it i just <laughs> wasn't about everything like you say there's probably an issue there you could jump into things when you shouldn't but um i think it's a nice thing and it, and it seems to go into business as well i'd said yeah. john deere earlier I, I really meant agriculture i mean one of the biggest um at the at the American football game, one of the biggest booths I actually tried to sneak in, see if I could have a chat with them, was a a soybean seed company. <laughs> you know, like an American football game, which yeah. Uh, yeah, really, really interesting and good that it's in culture. People understand where their food comes from. It's got to be important. We don't have that here, um, which is a worrying. 
concept actually. Um, yeah. You mentioned your travels there, Sam. Tell us, tell us a bit about Nuffield. First of all, I always like to ask everyone why Nuffield. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time actually, and just never quite pulled the trigger. Um, uh, I suppose I was even thinking about it before starting Small Robot Company, but I. I found that I felt that I was continuing to put barriers in the way of actually just starting a business, which is what I wanted to, which is really what I wanted to do. If I was honest with myself, I was like, well, I'll do my masters and then I'll start. A company. I'll do a Nuffield and then I'll start a company or just actually just, you know, get off your ass and do it. Um, and so, yeah, it just, because I think I then started small robot company, I, um, it was just never quite the right time. And so, but it's been something, I've got a few friends who've done it um, a few years ago uh, and the opportunity to go and see the world, but from a business perspective and particularly from a farming perspective uh, is, is, in, is incredible. Um, and it's such a fascinating industry and so broad and so varied um, that yeah, it's unlike it's unlike anything else, really. Um, you know, where you can you can do it off your own back and um, and explore something that you're really interested in. So, so you know, a lot of it is the travel. I think that you know a lot of the thing that appealed to me is the travel. I think it's also that um, you know this was something I think Hattie from our cohort said to me when we were in Exeter um, in November was, you know, when else you know, in recent time, have you had the opportunity to the opportunity to just go and think, you know, just go somewhere and just just really kind of challenge your thinking and um, get space from your day to day responsibilities. You know, over the seven years of of, of uh, running a small robot company, I had three kids as well as as as, as well as running this business, and so the you know there's kind of the time and space that you have to actually remove yourself from life and think never really happens but that's the opportunity that that Nuffield the Nuffield is is um is going to give us so I'm, yeah I'm, I'm really excited about that and then for my to my my topic is all about artificial intelligence and um and per plant farming and where you know what are the ingredients that are going to enable if this is the future what are the ingredients globally that are going to enable this to happen and then what are the right dynamics that need to be in place for that to happen so things like farm size prop type um you know geographical factors what are the you know where is this going to launch in the world and, and 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 spoiler alert unfortunately i don't think it's going to be the uk um uh and the and so so if, so we're obviously we're off to Brazil, which will be fascinating for me because you know what I want to go and look at there is some very very big farms, and understand you know farms that will already have a technology budget and will will kind of want to be right at the forefront of um, adopting these new technologies. So that's on the kind of positive side of the of the spectrum, but then the idea of identifying and managing you know. 100,000 hectare farm on a per plant level is something a bit mind-boggling for them. So then as a contrast I'm also going to to India and I want to and I want to to have a look at some very very small farms where actually there's a lot of 
there's a lot of technology in, in 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 some of these small farms that is being that is being deployed there's huge investment going into small scale farming in india and there's a lot of investment in artificial intelligence as well um and in many ways they're leading so i'm going to to india and china towards the end of my travels brazil at the start and then the us and and canada in the middle and and the us there was there was a time where i was not going to go to the US and Canada. Um, I was actually thinking about going to the Middle East instead. Um, uh, and that I think is one of the trickiest things about the Nuffield is understanding that you can't you can't go everywhere and and ruling ruling places out. In the end, it just felt there were so many examples of new technologies being developed, particularly by startups, and so much investment going into artificial intelligence in North America that that it felt it felt wrong not to go um uh, uh so so yeah that's how i ended up on the on those 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 countries and uh, yeah i'm really looking forward to it i was i was the same in that japan singapore holland and switzerland were my four that was the yeah. difference and then as time went on and i was in the states in october and november i was like i can't not i just yeah. not do this it's it's um it's the last on my list of now seven because I want to stick to the four, I'm definitely going to stick to the four. Um, but I'm going to struggle not to. Uh, I think <laughs> it was it was amazing. They, their sort of their agricultural education at school level is just amazing. Yeah. It matters, which is good. Um, yeah. Are you staying in Brazil for longer than we are? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so or just waiting yourself. I'm doing. I'm doing. A, I'm doing a post CFC tour where we're going to Mato Grosso and looking at some some huge farms there um and then after that i'm uh doing another uh week 10 days um if you uh, pushed it to three weeks you could go to that massive uh machinery show it's the the third biggest in the world and it's the 12th biggest agricultural show in the world um if you if you google brazilian show it'll come up i can't remember its name um I've got a, a colleague, actually the one who started the ag tech course at, at, at work, and uh, he's he loves a lot of stuff. And he said he going to show, and I'm like, what show is this? And we looked at it. Jesus, it was yeah. it was like a, I've never done Yorkshire show in that, but it was like it was like Highland show of just machines, just every type of machine from mouse size to you know nine six twenty RX type thing. Um, you know the. The farming. I mean, this is the this is the thing that I'm in in farming terms. I'm I'm very poorly travelled, and I think that was the 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 other aspect was that you know I think there was a world of opportunity out there, but actually, I I haven't really travelled. You know, I've been to a fair few countries, but not you know really to kind of embed myself in the in the farming sector. And the way that they think about farming in Brazil um, is totally different to us. It is a, it's a it's a completely different planet like it's it's significance to the economy um the size and scale of it it's uh it's completely different and therefore the opportunities are completely different over there yeah. and 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 just as i as i said you know i think if you there is a danger in a farming business that you think that the you know the world ends at the at the borders of your farm there's also a danger that you think the world ends at the borders of your of your country and particularly in an, in an island in an island nation and and getting some perspective on that i think is a is a really is a really important thing um and i suppose as a as a as a side 
project for me, you know, when I think about my family farm, I I think we're kind of a little bit in between two stools where we're not a very big farm, but we're not a very small farm either. And and then you kind of, you know, you don't get the benefit, you don't get the benefits of either. And so I think that's one of the questions I have in my head is should we be a a very big farm? You know, should, and, and I don't mean that by you know going and acquiring land, but through you know through joint ventures and collaboration, can we can we achieve more significant scale, or should we actually think of ourselves as a as a as a very small farm, and you know be thinking of niche products and direct to consumer and uh, you know and and kind of building 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 our own brands and and that and that sort of and that sort of side of it. Um, so I'm interested to you know that'll be something that's kind of bubbling away in my. Uh, subconscious as well as i go and see these different these different types of farms that's kind of what natalie's topic is isn't it sort of how you create that brand of of mm. agricultural produce whatever that whatever that is you know um yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting one because i mean i did my undergraduate dissertation and diversification of any form whether that was you know as we said earlier <laughs> the ones you think of or branding or whatever um because i i don't see a future in the UK, and maybe this is very pessimistic, but I don't see a future, or certainly I don't see a near future, where we get the support we have from EU, no. from the UK. Um, no. I'm not saying they won't support, I think they will, but I don't think, one, there is the capability nor desire to support as much as there was before. Um, and it's, I think that means yeah. you have to have your own, you know? Sorry. So. No, no, I'm, no, I mean, I completely agree, because... I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Yeah, because, because we're not as important um, <laughs> as, as a farming sector on our own as the European farming sector is to Europe. Um, uh, which is, you know, let's not turn this into the into the politics podcast, but it's why Brexit was absolute madness, um, uh, or one of the reasons that it was absolute madness from a farm from a farming perspective. Um, but we just, yeah, I, I think we, it is easy to think we are more relevant than we actually are. Um, uh, in you know, I, I don't think I don't think you know largely. Um, uh, people really care um you know i think people you know people to an extent engage with where their food has come from but the but the old argument of well people have just got to pay more for their food you know they're not going to um uh, uh and uh, and and just kind of jumping up and down about that is not is not going to solve the problem it's not going to it's not going to move the needle in 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 any way um and uh yeah so we we do i think have to you know stand on our own feet much more and be and be much more um market led and much more commercial um and um and embrace that and which is which is why i think i'll i'll i'll, I'll be following that that uh, that that nuffield um in particular with 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 interest because i think that's that's a huge area of potential for farmers no, definitely. De developing that brand definitely 
and I think there's, there's something quite fun about it. You'll have done this over the last seven years to fail for a brand as well. It's, it's yeah. interesting about it, even, you know, taking away the sort of necessity and the finance side, just the, the genuine joy of doing it. I mean, mine as a brand, and it definitely didn't really? start as I'm going to make money here. It was, shit, I really enjoyed doing this. <laughs> and then yeah. I've, I've tried to exactly. build around that, you know, um, which has, has been a, a really nice experience. Yeah, no, and, and, and as I said, it's, it's, <laughs> It's extremely impressive and, uh, and 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 very inspirational what you've um, what you've what you've built um, and um, uh, and and even the way yeah you were thinking about how you're going to you know fund your Nuffield and all and all and all, and all, all those sorts of things is uh, yeah it's, uh, it's it's genuinely inspirational so well done. So what Sam's talking about there, I've actually said on the podcast is um, obviously the Robert Trust is my primary sponsor. So the way Nuffield works is Nuffield has uh, companies. Um, funds I guess that work alongside them and they put money towards they sponsor a scholar so I am a scholar Sam is a scholar um, and McRobert Trust is is my my supporters so they, they provide the ability to go to Brazil like we're doing the video training all that, all that stuff and then the the finance we see in our bank to, to do our scholarship but on top of that I've been very lucky to have quite a few folk that have that have helped as well. If you could see, I'm obviously not releasing the video, but I'm currently wearing Howden, who we'll hear three times throughout this. They've been massive supporters of me for some time. Um, well, well into 15 months now, and my relationship with them has just went to strength to strength, and, and they've assisted as part of supporting uh, every week I'm on scholarship journeys. I will do a week update. Uh, just myself having a chat. I'm going to do a podcast with folk as we go, but that'll be a bonus and that's sort of been supported by Howden. On top of that, for those of you that don't know, I'm from the Isle of Arran, the one that's famous for whiskey and tourism, not jumpers. Um, and uh, with that, I thought, do you know what? I've created this idea that I really want to see if I can not do hotels at all. I want to meet people. There's nothing more boring than being in a hotel room. And I want to stay with folk, stay with Nuffield scholars, stay with farmers, stay with lecturers, stay with whoever, and just really try and make it a, a, a cultural experience and not just a place where I go to things during the day. So um, with that, I didn't want to just be carrying loads of cash around as thank yous, because I always think cash is a kind of rubbish thank you. Um, I, I thought it'd be really nice. And Aaron, Aaron Whiskey, very kindly, have donated 200 whiskey miniatures um, that I'll be able to give out to to those that helped me along the way, which is very really? nice. Yeah, it's, really? it's actually it's nice, you know, having been from there and yeah, um as a as a non-whiskey drinker, uh personally, I'm sure I will have a couple as as a uh for a video, which will be quite good fun. Um but I absolutely love their Aaron Gold. So I don't know if anyone's listening or, or you, Sam, like Bailey's. Have you had Bailey's before? Yeah. Yes. I'm not a huge fan, but not I... a huge fan, fair. No. Well, this is their their version, it's an Aaron Whiskey one and Put in the freezer until it's almost freezing. Um, poured over iron vanilla ice cream is something I would advise everyone to give a shot at. Um, but honestly, Sam, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. There is two questions that I don't let anyone run away without answering, uh, and they are first off, one, um, where do you see yourself in five years, and two, if you had any advice for people coming into, let's say, ag tech, uh, what would they be? So, uh, so the five year one. Um, I mean, I suppose primarily I want to still be working towards this. You know, I see, um, I suppose I partly thought about the Nuffield initially when I applied for it as being something that 
would enable enable me to broaden my connections and 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 continue to develop some more robot company. Um, obviously, that's that that that's not happened, but it's it's now it's now an opportunity to to kind of scan the world and see and see where the opportunities are and work out how I get back into this and what the right business models are. And, you know, the interesting challenge now is that when we started off 2017, it was the technology that was the challenge. And now it's actually, the technology is not a problem. Um, you know, we, 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 we can do it, but lots of people could do it. It's actually about the right business models, the right distribution, the right route to market. So I actually think of, so I've actually done a, um, so I do do, five-year plans and three-year plans and one-year plans but 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 I do it within a 25-year framework which is a um which actually in the last few months particularly has been very helpful and this was a this was something I picked up I'm part of a a um uh an organization called strategic coach um which is sort of group coaching for 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 entrepreneurs and one of the things they talk about is a, is a 25-year plan with a very clear sort of mission focus and so for me um you know one of the things that i'm working towards is is trying to be part of turning farming into an exact science you know trying to move away from the way my you know the way we take decisions today which is very similar to the way my great grandfather took decisions which is you know largely gut instinct and experience and actually develop technologies that empower farmers to turn farming into an exact science and the beauty of doing it within a 25 year framework is you you kind of take the pressure off yourself quite a bit because you know can I achieve that in five years you know absolutely not but actually over twenty five years um, a lot more becomes possible and then if you have a period of time like I have uh, where it really hasn't gone to plan uh, and probably the last two years of my professional life have been pretty miserable well okay two years is only is eight quarters in uh, in yeah. that in that in that twenty five year plan it's eight percent. Okay, it's a chunk, you know. I've learned a lot in that eight years, and um, and actually, you know, I've developed a lot of connections that will really help me in the ne in the next bit. But the plan's not the plan's not torn up. The plan is the plan is still a plan. I'm still going to continue working towards that, and there's still plenty of time to continue to work towards that. So, to 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 answer your question, um, I kind of think in 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 a longer term in a longer term framework is how I really like to think. But I think in five years, my main objective is I'm still working on this. I haven't kind of forgotten about this and gone, you know, gone, gone into my shell. I've, I've had another go in some form and, um, and continue to work towards it. Now, you have a 25 year plan though. I am a 27 year old person and you have a plan for essentially my lifetime <laughs> since well, I've been in control. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm quite a bit older than you, but um, but uh, you know, by the time I so I'm, I'm I can't remember exactly how many quarters I'm into my 25 year plan, but I'm sort of I don't know, I'll be 14 or 15 quarters in something like that. But by the time I finish this 25 year plan, I'm planning to planning to write another one. You know, I think we can we can work for longer than we think we can work. We have, uh, you know, if we look after ourselves, we're going to live longer than you know than our grandparents lived and our parents lived. And we've got, you know, more than enough time to kind of achieve whatever we want to achieve. Um, uh, but we have to get the mindset right on that. And so that's the my, my only problem with like a three year or a five year plan is actually 
what can you really achieve in three years or five years? Well, you can you can achieve a bit for sure. And you should have those. But actually, you need to be aiming towards something bigger, I think. And not everyone agrees with me. I've got a very good friend who quite deliberately doesn't plan and and goes through their life just open to opportunities. And they don't know what they're going to be doing in five years' time. And he's done some amazingly he's been a diplomat in the US and he's worked in he's worked in India and he's now he's a CEO of a tech company and actually it's quite inspirational you know the variety that he's had um and that you know we've had interesting debates about the complete contrast in the way we approach our lives um and um i don't know i don't know which is right but this certainly having this kind of long term approach for me has really helped me to cope with this phase of it, you know, in inverted commas, failing, um, because because then you can pick yourself up and and go again, um, uh, you know, rather than thinking, oh, you know, I had this five year plan and didn't work, and the whole thing's the whole thing's an absolute disaster. It's easier to to pick yourself up if you've um, uh, if you've got that longer term perspective. When you say which is right out of those two, I I would say neither are wrong, and the reason I say that is your way would not work for me and that's because i know <laughs> if i set a goal and i don't hit it it just frustrates me and it, it knocks me off whereas i'm very much like your friend there <laughs> it's somewhat less successful but um very much let's just bumble through life and and i'll create opportunities as a go i have no doubts about that but I don't care. And a few folk have said to me, what's your answer to where do you see yourself in five years? My answer is I don't care. And sorry, my answer is I don't care apart from the fact I want it to be forward. I want to be progressed from where I am. I don't care what that is. Maybe at some point I randomly will, but I, at the minute I don't have, I just want to do better. I want next year to, oh, I did enough field this year. Perfect. Well, maybe I will do a PhD next year. Or maybe I'll go travel somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've never had like a, Let's put that name on it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because goals, um, you know, not to get too sidetracked, but goals goals can be incredibly powerful, I think, but they can also just be another thing to beat yourself up about. Um, and 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 another useful concept from this strategic coach um uh, group is this thing called the gap and the gain. And um and what we um what we the the the, the phrase is the phrase is mind the gap. You you measure you you set a goal and and you don't get there or it doesn't quite happen in the way that you want and you can you can quite easily beat yourself up you can get stuck in that gap between where you where you are and where you want to be but actually if rather than looking forwards at that goal you look backwards at where you've come from you can see you can see the gain that you've made and you know you look you know you might have set yourself a goal for three years time. And you might not get there, but actually, if you look back over the last three years and where you were three years ago, uh, it's incredible how much you've how, how much you've achieved. And it's another useful. All of this is just kind of playing tricks on your mind, but they're important tricks. I think they're they're they're, they're important tricks towards you know leading a happy life um, and and finding what and finding what works what works for you. And and I think you're and I think you're right that. The, the same approach doesn't work for everyone. I've spoken to other people about 25 year plan and, you know, it's like, you know, 
you know, I've spoken to farmers about that and they're like, well, we don't even know what, you know, what payment we're going to be getting, you know, for SFI in the next 12 months, never mind 25 years. Like, how can we, how can we actually form a 25 year plan? Um, and uh, as I say, you know, neither of those are necessarily right, but, but I found it's really worked for me. And I've got a feeling the answer to this is going to be a tw write a 25 year plan, but a few tips for people, advice for folk. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Coming into, I, I think, I mean, one of the things that I'm most excited about um, in the future of farming is that there's going to be, I think, necessarily this huge influx of talent from outside of, of agriculture. We we had, so I mentioned we had a, um, a 1.55 people um, at Small Robot Company. I'm going to say maybe 15 of those people were maybe 20 people were from a farming background or, 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 you know, had some sort of, they'd been to agriculture college, they were connected to farming in some way. Um, you know, they'd done agriculture or ag engineering or something like that, but the rest, you know, absolutely would not have thought of agriculture as being something that they would work in or this problem of using technology to produce food. They, they, they wouldn't have considered that. And I think a good number of those, or I'm hoping that a good number of those have found the thing that they that they want to do um, uh, because it is so, so important and so purposeful. Um, and so I think the the exciting thing is, you know, if you are from a technical background, uh, but not necessarily just from a technical background, because actually, as I think about it, you know, there were people, you know, fantastic uh, marketing and branding people who 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 came work from us people from you know much more of a humanities background i th i think technology is the route in uh, or tech companies uh and there's more and more of them some 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 of them are, some of them are failing but but some of them are, are doing really well and and actually the route in i think is just go and try and find a startup and go and go and work there startups are great they are stressful they don't always work you know you should not go there for the pension plan uh and the uh and the job security to be part of something you, there was sorry i always think with a startup you're there to be part of something part of a, a, you're, part, you're, you're yeah. part of something and you will get way more responsibility you know if you have if you have a choice of let's say you're an engineer and you have a choice of being you know the the, the most junior engineer in a 25 person team at a massive you know a massive engineering company or you have the a choice to go and join a go and join a startup you know if you are at the stage of your career where you can where you can deal with that startup not working and you should always be aware of that you should a hundred percent go and work at the startup because the knowledge that you will get the breadth of um the breadth of experience that you will get is 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 absolutely huge uh, and you will get so much more responsibility and you'll be so much closer to the to the big decisions than you ever would be um working working at that big company it's not to say big companies are big companies are, are bad but there should be a stage in your career i think where you are able and open to those risks and i think you should uh you know when you can you should really you should really try and grab that with both hands no i'd agree i like that i like that and you know, you mentioned about um, I can't remember exactly what we're talking about. But you mentioned about the the sort of key components of living a happy life at one point. So, having seen you to now know that at the time in November that small robot company was at the stage it was at, to now know that 
to now see you now, it genuinely feels like there's a massive weight off your shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely. No, I mean, yeah. like, I, we only spoke for about 10 minutes max over the course of three days. Yeah. Um, and I would say that's noticeable, which is nice in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 no, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's strange. Like, this is the outcome I dreaded most of all, you know, because, because not only have, uh, you know, it, you know, I, I've I've walked away with with nothing. Indeed, I've lost a lot of money. But it, the, more importantly than that, the 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 team of the team have lost their jobs. You know, investors lost their money, and the technology that we developed that I really believed in is probably gonna gonna evaporate. Um, this is the worst outcome, but it's but it's um, but it's a huge relief. <laughs> it's yeah. a huge relief because the because the weight of it has been enormous for for a long time. And just trying, just scrapping, 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 trying to to avoid this this outcome. But what I've, you know, I think a huge part of happiness in life is progress. And I haven't made any progress over the last two years, really. I've been desperately trying to to save the company, but I haven't really progressed anything. Um, and um, uh, and and now that it's that it's gone, um, actually a whole world of possibilities kind of opens up. Um, so yeah, I was not at my happiest in November. Um, the weight of the world was on my shoulders a bit. Um, and it was a very, you know, there was a lot of pressure. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, I'm hoping for a happier 24 and a year of, of more progress than than I had in uh, in 23. I think it would be quite clear that you'll have a good 2024 and 25 with, with Nuffield, but progress and success are, are two things that people always think are deemable by one metric. And it's normally financial. <laughs> and mm. I, I think that's mad. <laughs> you know, like we, yeah. we, have a, we had a chat, my, my, this year is my, what do you call it? Like 10 year of having uh, left school. Um, yeah. And uh I remember having the chats of who's going to be the richest and all that, who's going to be the best paid job and all that stuff. I go through, I would say, 30 days in a 31-day month. I just really love what I'm doing. And I think that's the best thing I could ask for. Like, I just, I don't have any financial stress. <laughs> I think everyone around me wishes I was better with money, but that's a different thing. Um, Just in general, I think I think success and progress and whatever word we get in with S, um matters is is just how much you enjoy the day the day the day yes we need to make money but i i am so annoying to a point of annoyance not money driven um it's a it's a it's an interesting way as to how we deem it success or progress or whatever yeah Yeah. it's uh yeah it is always interesting those um those anniversaries it's 20 years for for me wallace uh last year and um yeah there there are there are some people who've who found the right ingredients yeah where there um where there is you know i think common amongst the people who are happiest um uh of of of, of my sort of my, my my sort of ages is a sense of autonomy i think is really important um you know it's um they're they're dancing to their own tune or you know whatever the whatever the right phrase is you know they are um they are deciding the, their own moves in in life, um, and and they do they feel they feel um, a sense of a sense of progress. I do think that's really important. 
but they also feel that they've found something they're really good at. And and I think for you, you know, it's it's clear you you know it's clear you're very good at this, and you've and you've found something where yeah you're using your abilities in a way in the way that you were supposed to use them um and you're in that sweet spot where you know you could probably you've you've already told me you've got another podcast after this and you're just like you could you know you could do this for hours and hours and hours and it just gives you more and more energy you know and and, and we all know there are tasks that we have to do in life that just exhaust us it sounds like for you it might be um doing the accounts or uh or uh or... <laughs> to get someone else to do it though <laughs> i'm not exactly like still doing the hardships in fairness do doing washing the clothes is a i hate it yasmin if you're listening i'm so sorry that is my yeah. least favorite job on the planet yeah. so, <laughs> so filling your life with those with those things you do that just energize you and then the, yeah like washing the clothes even thinking about washing the clothes is like or hanging up the laundry just like exhausting to you and then you know and then you, you dread doing it you dread having to do it and then when you actually do it oh it's just terrible some people fill their lives with that stuff right you know that's that's like that's 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 their that's their working life is oh i don't want to do this but i'm gonna have to do it uh and and you know getting as little of that in your life as possible as much as as, as much in your life of things that give you energy and that can be tasks but it's also people as well right you know because because there are people unfortunately who fit into that category as well who for whatever reason kind of drain the energy out of you and then people who give you a load of energy and those are the uh, those are the important things to get right in your life it's not always easy but um, but as much time as possible doing the things that you love doing, as much time as possible spend with the people that give you energy and that you love being with. It's not much more complicated than that, really. Yeah, it feels so privileged. I always think, and I get told this often, that I I do genuinely mean the things I say about like enjoying work. And I mean, this is this is. I guess this is work, <laughs> but it's like, it's not, I don't know. And it's like, it's a second job as well. And the job I go to has been four years of, of not work. And I know that's lucky. You know, I know that's yeah. lucky. Um, let's get very deep to end off some, um, very deep, uh, very much more invasive uh, than a hair we'll, precision we'll continue, we'll continue over some, over some of those whiskeys, um, uh, in, uh, in Brazil, or not, the, not, 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 not whiskey for you. It's it's the burgers I'm looking forward to. <laughs> no, it sounds good, mate. And thank you, thank you very much for your time. Um, thank you for the opportunity. No, not at all, mate. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure for for those of you listening. That's been Sam Watson Jones at some time in the pipeline. It's been a great chat. Uh, I said I said to him, oh, we'll probably finish about seven, maybe ten past seven. It's currently nineteen minutes to eight. Um, so that's normally how how it goes when when you have a good chat on here. Uh, it's not at all that's exactly what we're after um, but in, in very much staying on the, the, the vein that the R2 cast offers a lot today was on pear plant precision and the uh, future of AI and farming the last episode we had was in fashion and the next one's in darts thank you very much for coming along and we'll see you for episode number 180 see you then I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast as much as I have and I would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today Howden Rural the new name for A-Plan Rural. 
If you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector, and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural, and I'll see you for the next episode.